Being part of a group was absolutely essential for evolutionary survival. And so our bodies give us warning signs. And the warning sign is loneliness. Welcome to the Happiest Ever After podcast. That's right, happy-ish. Because instead of fairy tales of perfection, we celebrate real lives and real stories. I'm Tatiana, your host, and I'm here to guide you on your journey to better health and self-acceptance. Join me every week as we delve into science-backed truths about health, from understanding our bodies to caring for our emotional well-being. Let's get started. Welcome to episode two of season two. And I'm going to start off by letting you know that I have no guests today. I promised a surprise format change, and this is it. For season two, I'm going to continue to bring in amazing guests to discuss topics related to health and wellness, but those are now going to be on alternate weeks. In between, I'm going to be doing mini episodes like this one, and I'm going to dive into specific health-related topics. If you caught last week's episode, that was the one with Nicole McDonough. And we were talking about the Enneagram and understanding your Enneagram helps you understand how you form relationships or what you seek in them. And it can be a really insightful tool for self-discovery and around developing more meaningful relationships. And the reason that I wanted to have that conversation is because social connection is such an incredibly important part of our health. and. It's really interesting because we haven't really had conversations about health and social connection outside of the scope of mental health discussions. But loneliness is more than just about mental health. And I'm going to go into a little bit about what the science reveals and why it is that we need social connection, the impact that loneliness has on our health. And I'm also going to give you practical steps that you can take away and help you if you are feeling socially isolated or lonely. But you know, even if you're not in that space right now, maybe you know somebody who is and maybe they could benefit from this knowledge as well, whether you choose to share the podcast episode or whether it gives you tools so that you can help them through a particular difficult phase. Loneliness is something that we shouldn't be ashamed of. I think there's a lot of shame around the idea of loneliness, that it means that somehow we are deficient in our friendships. But we have to understand that the way that our society is structured, the way that our communities are physically structured today does not facilitate relationships and community the way that historically we have. And that's why. Loneliness is a truly modern epidemic, and it has become a silent killer. There have been scientists, doctors who have said that loneliness has the same health impact on an individual as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So over the past decade or so, there's been more and more evidence that our social relationships and our social networks may be as important or even more important than our genetic connections in determining our health and our health outcomes. So I really want to repeat that because this is an amazing statement. Our social relationships may be 
more important than our genetic connections in determining our health outcomes. And think right now about all the craze of DNA testing or getting tested with things to see whether or not you may or may not contain a gene. And I'm not saying that it's it's every gene. You know, I'm not a scientist. That's not my realm of expertise. But those who are experts are actually saying that in some instances, your genetic predisposition is actually less of a harm to you than loneliness is. So this highlights not only the significant role that social interactions play in our physical health, but also that it's something that we actually can influence. We have the ability to address our loneliness, to address our social isolation. So first of all, I'm just going to like step back in time here and explain why is social connection so important? I've started telling you a little bit about how it's actually going to have an impact on our well-being, but why is that? And the reality is it's because we have been biologically hardwired this way. So think of, you know, the millennia of human history, social bonds and our ability to cooperate and function in groups has been critical to our survival. Even in our earliest days, like living in caves, we had to live in a group for protection from predators, to be able to share resources, to raise children. Think about early humans and and how there was no survival if there was no community. And when you think about that over many, many years, those who formed strong social connections were way more likely to thrive and then pass on their genes. So those who did not have those pangs of loneliness and and could feel the feelings of, I don't feel safe or I need to be with the group, and they felt comfortable being on their own, possibly didn't pass on their genes. So it's biologically determined. So like I just said, Being part of a group was absolutely essential for evolutionary survival. And so our bodies give us warning signs. And the warning sign is loneliness. It is actually a sign that tells us we need to go find our group and we need to go be safe with them. So being alone or feeling like you aren't connected to a community can cause enormous stress. And this can show up as inflammation and other issues because your body is physically reacting to that. But when we do have social connections, we get this sort of double benefit. Not only is there absence of stress because we aren't lonely, but also social interactions help regulate other forms of stress that come into our life. So social connections protect against stress during challenging times and also Connecting with others triggers the release of the oxytocins and endorphins, and these are neurotransmitters that are associated with feelings of trust and bonding and well-being. So when we're alone, we are in this place where we have to deal with our regular stress and the stress that is created through loneliness. And when we are with others, we don't have the stress of the loneliness and we get the added benefit of that companionship and interaction as relieving 
from the other stresses. So there's a real benefit to being in community. So we understand that social connection is a survival skill and that it's hardwired into us, but we don't live in caves and we aren't dependent on groups to harvest our food and we don't have to live in community anymore and we don't rely on our social networks for survival anymore. In our modern world, we can get our food delivered to our door. A lot of us work from home. We can FaceTime our friends. We can learn, read, be entertained all within the comfort of our home. And this is actually a problem because this is the way that the modern world has evolved. So recently, I started bullet journaling. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's so much fun. But one of the things I decided to put in my bullet journal was I was going to have a connection page. And that was to see, to track, actually, how often I'm communicating with my friends. Am I sending people a text? Am I having phone calls? Am I meeting up with people? Because I've realized that through COVID, I have become isolated from my friends. I don't see people nearly as often as I used to. And I was really surprised when I started tracking how I was communicating with people. I'm communicating with most of my friends via text now. And I can go for days without seeing anybody besides my children and people that I pass on my way out the door for a walk. And these aren't meaningful relationships with people that I'm just passing on the street. And the relationships with my children, they're meaningful, but they aren't the same as friendships. And it's a very limited pool of people that I have living in my house with me. So it doesn't work so great there. And I don't think that I'm alone in this. I think that during the pandemic, that a lot of other people's social interactions declined. Our North American culture values personal space. The dream is the single family detached home. We curate our spaces and we turn them into places where we are fully comfortable. Home workout gym, office setup, chatting with friends on FaceTime without ever having to leave your warm, safe cocoon. And I love that. I love on a rainy day, sitting in front of my fireplace with a book and just enjoying some quiet time. But overall, is this a good thing for us? So now I want to get into a little bit of what the science says so that we can actually see the impact that our cozy little warm <laughs> social isolation is actually having on our health. Because I think you'll be really surprised. But don't worry, because like I promised, at the end, I'm going to give you some great takeaways, and these are going to help you move forward. I promise. So first of all, let's get our terminology right. Social connection, you've heard me talk about that, social interaction, social connection. That's an overarching term that we use in our day-to-day -day life. But in the scientific papers, they're going to use more specific terms. So the most common term that I have seen used is, and they love to shorten this, they call it SI slash L. But what they're actually meaning is social isolation and loneliness. And that's what has been measured. But why does precise terminology matter? 
it matters because in research, clarity matters. So we have these two terms here, social isolation and loneliness. And social isolation is the objective lack of social contact with others. This might be, for example, somebody who lives alone as opposed to someone who lives with others. But then some people could actually enjoy, maybe be sort of more of a loner and they enjoy living alone and they don't actually feel lonely. And so that's why we have social isolation and loneliness paired together because loneliness is the subjective feeling that somebody has about being lonely. So someone who is living with a bunch of people may still feel lonely. It's that idea of being lonely in a crowd that whatever it is, the group that they're with, maybe they don't feel like they belong or they don't feel seen or heard. And that can bring on profound feelings of loneliness. So now we have our terms down. So I just want to give you a few pieces of what it is that the science says about loneliness and social isolation. So in 2016, so this is pre-pandemic, the journal Heart published an article called Loneliness and Social Isolation as a Risk Factor for Coronary Heart Disease and Stroke, Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Longitudinal Observational Studies. Like, oh my gosh, uh, I must say when I'm going through the checkout to pay for my groceries, I never see this on the front page of any of the magazines there, and there's a good reason why. The really important part of that very long-winded, very science-y sounding name is the fact that it is a meta-analysis. And so what the scientists did there was that they actually analyzed a large volume of studies that have already been conducted. So they did this sort of review of all of these previous research studies to see if there was a trend across them. So rather than starting and running a study, they're studying the studies. Yes, there's scientists that do that. Now, there's a whole bunch of specific methodologies that are involved in selecting the studies. And if you are interested in this, I'm going to have the link to the study in the show notes so you can read all about the methodologies if you'd like. I just want to sum up the findings here. So here's what this study found. They found that poor social relationships were associated with a 29% increase in risk of coronary heart disease and a 32% increase in risk of stroke. And this is really interesting too, because the health risks appear to be the same whether you are a man or a woman. That's what the data says. And I think that's really shocking. So a 29 and a 32% increase, that's a large number. But actually, in 2018, right before the pandemic, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine established a committee, and they did some research as well. But theirs was focused on loneliness in people over 50 years of age. And this older age demographic they found that social isolation and loneliness in people over 50 is associated with a 50% increased risk of developing dementia, a 30% increased risk of coronary artery disease or stroke, and a 26% increase 
risk of what they call all-cause mortality, which is basically the risk of dying of any other disease. These are profoundly significant numbers. So I'm only going to give you one more study. And this one took a bit of a different approach, and it was in 2021. And again, it'll be linked in the show notes. And that was the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. And they published this really interesting article where they found that loneliness was associated with dysregulation of the immune system. And that's including increased inflammation and decreased antiviral response. So this is saying that the findings are suggesting that loneliness could potentially weaken the body's ability to fight off infections and contribute to the development of chronic diseases. So now we have this depressingly long laundry list of physical health risks. And what makes this one of the world's top causes of death is the fact that prior to the pandemic, there was a study by the AARP which found that 35% of adults over the age of 45 in the U.S. reported feeling lonely. And I'm in Canada, but I think those numbers are probably very similar here. And I think that this is really as a result of the way that we live today. We live independently, and some of that is wonderful. But for some of us, that means that we're also closed off from our community. It is just becoming more and more common for people to not know who their neighbors are. Many people work long hours in one or more jobs, commuting distances. If they are able to afford a home, it's out of town. And so they spend their time commuting. I see so many single passenger vehicles. So they're on the majority of people are commuting on their own. And what's left of the day, there's very, very little time for social interaction. I think intuitively, we've always known that social isolation and loneliness can have a profound impact on our mental health. But I don't think that people really understood the impacts that social isolation and loneliness can have on our physical health. And this is a complex and multifaceted issue. But there are steps that you can take. And you might feel uncomfortable at first, but that's because you're making a change. But developing meaningful relationships and curbing loneliness is going to require intentional efforts and actions. And while you're feeling pushed out of your comfort zone, the payoff is going to be substantial. And here are five things that you can do. One, join a social group or a club. Maybe create a local meetup group. Do things that you like and things that align with your interests and hobbies. This could be book clubs, sports teams, volunteer organizations, hobby groups. Shared interests are going to provide a natural foundation for building relationships and connecting with like-minded individuals. Two, attend community events. Get involved. You know, attend your neighborhood festivals, go to workshops, go to cultural events. This is a great place to meet other people and engage with your community. Number three, volunteer. Volunteer your time and skills to support the causes that you care about. Volunteering 
doesn't just allow you to make a positive impact on others, but also provides you with an opportunity to meet new people and form these meaningful connections that are so life-giving. And maybe you want to actually volunteer at one of those community events and get to see all the behind-the-scenes stuff, which makes the event even more fun. Number four is invest in existing relationships. You're not starting from scratch. You've got friends. Nurture and strengthen those existing relationships. Spend quality time together. Express appreciation, offering them support when they need it. Focus on building deeper connections with friends and with family members. And five, be open-minded and approachable. Be open to meeting new people and expanding your social circle. Approach interactions with a positive attitude and be receptive to different perspectives and experiences. But if you have tried all of these and you just can't shake that feeling, I encourage you to seek out professional support. If loneliness is persisting despite your efforts, then consider seeking support from a therapist, from a counselor, or a support group. Somebody who has expertise in mental health can provide the guidance and strategies so that you can address the underlying issues that are contributing to your loneliness. And one last thing that I'd like to say is remember that building meaningful relationships takes time and effort. So be patient and persistent in your efforts. I think back to when you started a new school, when you started in kindergarten, and it can feel scary, but it started you off on an adventure with people who became a big part of your life, maybe for a short period of time and maybe for a long period of time. It's a process, and we never stop needing those friendships. And honestly, the health paybacks are phenomenal. So you've made friends before, and I know you can do this. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Happyish. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the follow button and I can promise you more content like this. But don't keep it to yourself, share it with a friend. So until next time, keep your curiosity alive, spread kindness wherever you go, and never forget that you are the author of your story. This has been an Awkward Sage production.